Good morning. Got to say so one thing you've got to, well, two things you need to know from the Mullis Book of Winning Church Quizzes, <laughs> which has now worked twice in a row. There's two things you need to do. One, bring a guest, but make sure that guest has got mastermind levels of general knowledge. <laughs> and borrow Mrs. Mowat when you see there's a French round, because <laughs> that's the secret if you want to share the box of celebrations. Genesis 23. We re- look at the Bible and we look and we see this book is, is, it's two things. It's a burial and it's buying a field. So where do we go with that? I thought I'd start with a, cl- a video clip. I went to YouTube and I got a video clip. And I blame my mum for this one, by the way, because she's the one that found it on YouTube. I've had to cut it down a little bit because it was a bit long. So it might not be immediately clear that this, this, this is from a South African candid camera show. And uh, there's some cities in South Africa, I've never been, but apparently the minibus taxi drivers get a bit irritating in the way they behave sometimes. So this guy from Candid, their Candid Camera Show, decided to get a bit of revenge. So he decided he pranked them, and he's trying to flag one down, and he's telling him he wants to go to a funeral. So let's run the... (laughs) I'm glad he laughed. (laughs) We're looking at death this week. Generally speaking, death isn't fun. But I don't like to start off downbeat, so uh, I may end up on a downbeat, but we're not going to start with one. So I'm trying to think of something that was fun, like the side of death, if there is one, to kick off the talk. So there you go, that was it. And it made me laugh, and it made a few of you laugh. But the world is scared of death. It, just like those women in that video, when you look at the sheer horror on their face, I mean, we were laughing, it was funny when they realised it was a prank, but they were scared stiff. They ran off, screaming don't know how to take it. So today we're in chapter 23 of Genesis and this is the next installment. We've been following the story of the beginning of the nation of Israel. Last time, before harvest last week, a couple of weeks ago, we learned about God's provision of a sacrifice in place of Isaac and testing his, uh, Abraham's faith. And today we've perhaps moved forward 25 years or so in time and we're looking at the death of Sarah and what Abraham does in response to it. So let's read the passage together. Genesis 23, if you have your Bibles with you, it'll be up on the screen if you want to follow along, if you don't. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abram went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I'm a foreigner and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You're a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you're willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf, so that he'll sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site amongst you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people and replied to Abraham, in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me, I give you the field and I give you the cave that's in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land and he said to Ephron in their hearing, listen to me, if you will. I'll pay the price of the field, accept it from me, so that I can bury my dead here. Ephron answered Abraham, 
Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What's that between me and you? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current then among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field was legally made over to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who'd come to the gate of the city. Afterwards, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were legally made over to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. So the Lord bless the reading of his word. So we've come to a very, very sad time in Abraham's life. Sarah died at the great age of 127. I've tried to work out how they were married. I've seen estimates that people have written somewhere between 60 and 100 years. We don't know for definite, as far as I can tell, but I tend to favour that longer end of that estimate. She was at the culture at the time, and still is today in much of the Middle East, is for girls to marry young. So if Sarah married Abraham at the normal age, then they must be married for around a century, or even longer, perhaps. Imagine that. I mean, Victoria and I have been married for 23 years this year, and she tells me it feels like a lifetime, but 100 years? That is a lifetime, more than a lifetime. One of the best bits of my job is when one of our residents celebrates a golden wedding or a diamond wedding, and I get to visit them with a big bunch of flowers and take the photograph for our magazine. I even managed a 70th wedding anniversary the other month. Such a rare event. It's so rare that if you reach your diamond wedding, your 60th anniversary, the Queen sends a telegram. I've heard wonderful stories over the years from these folks who've been married for so long. Folks who've lived a life together through thick and thin. Cardboard wedding cakes. Wedding dresses made from parachute silk. Couples who've lived together over the years and then they've come to 60 or 70 years and their family around and they're still going strong. Still with each other, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death us do part. And if I'm still alive for our golden wedding, I'll be 86 years old. Victoria's mum and dad just celebrated their golden wedding last weekend. They weren't 86, by the way. Mum and dad, my mum and dad celebrated theirs in 2012, and they weren't 86 either. But I'll be 86 when I'm happy, if I've been married for 60 years, if God wills. I pray that we'll enjoy such a long life together. We may not survive to, live that, to see that milestone together, particularly if I mention my mum's age in public. We certainly won't reach 100 years. I'd have to be 126, and no one lives that age anymore. Our genes have degraded. We don't get that age. But that the time of parting that the wedding vows mentioned, till death to us part, happened for Abraham. And we read that he weeps over the death of his wife. I suspect that's an understatement. A relationship that had lasted 100 years had come to an end. I expect he was heartbroken. This is the first time mourning and weeping is mentioned in the Bible. There's plenty of death and misery in the earlier chapters of Genesis, but this is the first time we specifically read of mourning and weeping. Something else that's unique about this moment, about Sarah. This is the only lady whose age is mentioned in the Bible. Even then, a lady's age is a secret thing. But, but 
Sarah, it's mentioned. No other woman has their age recorded. Even then, women were coy about their age, I don't know. But it's not, it wasn't important, but it was important here. Sarah was a very special lady. Hebrews 11 says this. Verse 11. By faith, even Sarah, who is past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who'd made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. She bore a child to a husband at the age of 19, became mother of God's chosen people, Israel. She had a legacy. A faith, her faith together with her husband's, began God's plan of redemption for the world, but culminated in Jesus and the creation of the worldwide church. We're here today in Regent Chapel, ultimately in part because of Sarah. Simply believing God's promise, even weakly. Sarah found this promise that God would give her a child in her old age unbelievable. We heard that the other week. But she acted on that promise and in faith was rewarded with this unbelievable legacy. God had simply asked them to try for a child in their old age when human wisdom said it was impossible and they were obedient and Isaac was born. So what's going to be your legacy? What's God asking you to do that may bear fruit for his kingdom? Do you feel like you have anything worth contributing? Jesus told a parable on the subject. It's in Matthew 25 if you want to follow, look it up later. It's called the parable of the talents. Jesus in that parable, Jesus is talking about his father's relationship with us, his children, with us who claim to follow him. And you know the story, I'm sure many of you will. I haven't time to read it all in detail quite now, it's quite long. But in it, Jesus tells this story of a wealthy man going away. And while he's away, each of his servants is given a sum of money to invest. And when, his master, when the master returns, he's rewarded the servants who've taken a risk and invested wisely and earned a profit. And he was angry with the servant who gave in, fear, gave in to fear and did nothing useful with the money that the master had given him. Out of fear, he just buried the money in a hole and earned nothing. And he was punished. And what little he had was taken off him. What little responsibility he'd be given was taken away. The master in the story didn't give talents to some and nothing at all to others. He gave talents to everybody, all of his servants, all three of his servants, each one of them. No one missed out. Okay, some were given more than others, but everyone was given something. As much as the master thought they could handle. No one was let off the hook. And those that were given a lot were expected to return a lot. But even those that had been given only a little were expected to invest it well and gain something. Create a legacy for their master who'd been so generous with them. And I don't know whether you feel that you've got ten talents like the, most, the best well-off servant had or just one like the poorest. I don't know. I don't know whether you feel that God's favoured you or whether in the poker game of life you've been dealt a dodgy hand. That's between you and God. And it's frankly not in my business and it's really not that important. The Bible records God asking for Sarah's obedience in only two ways. Firstly, she was asked to accompany her husband from Ur 
and go live in a tent with some goats in Canaan for the rest of her life. And secondly, she was told to try for a child at the age of 90. She obeyed both, and she was honoured for it. And God established her legacy. He wasn't bothered about what colour tents they made or what specific route they took around the desert, just that they were honest, and they honoured him and obeyed him that twice he'd asked them to do something a bit out of the ordinary. What's God asking you to do so that you can establish your spiritual legacy in the land? How is he asking for your obedience? What's he asking to you, you to do just beyond basic honesty and good living? What are you being asked to do in your life with your talents, with your abilities? That's just a bit countercultural and a bit of effort. Is it to give out of a limited income? That could be hard. Is it to give generously out of a generous income? That can be even harder. It's easy for a rich man to pass through the eye of a needle and for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God. So a camel to eye, walk through the eye of a needle and a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God. So Jesus tells us. Is it to spend time studying the Bible instead of watching telly so that you can become a preacher? Is it to go to the Bible college and go on a mission field? Is it to make a special effort to talk to the neighbour next door so that you can get to know him and become a friend and maybe introduce them to Jesus? Is it... Perhaps to come out to a prayer meeting on a Sunday evening instead of watching telly or browsing Facebook or whatever we'd rather do so that he, we can make prayers and God can answer them and Regent Chapel's witness can be more powerful and effective where we are. What are you doing tonight? Can I challenge you, actually? What are you doing tonight? 6.30 tonight, we have a prayer meeting here in this church and we all come together and we want to come together and we bring petitions before the Lord and God honours them and he answers them. But he may have asked you to pray something. And if you don't turn up and do it, we can't have that opportunity. And God won't answer that prayer he's asked you to pray. Just a thought. What's he asking you to do next? I don't know. Maybe none of those things. Perhaps. What's he poking and prodding you about your specific life? To make having a regular quiet time a priority. To be more kind. More sacrificial. In what way is he asking you today to be more like Jesus than you were yesterday? And when we point the finger at someone else, we point four back at ourselves. Jesus tells us to be more concerned with the log in our own eye than the speck in someone else's when it comes to these kind of things. And I know that it's sometimes for some people just getting the energy together to get out of bed in the morning is more than I have to use perhaps an entire week. I'm not casting aspersions at anyone i'm not pointing fingers i'm not going tusk tusk but i'm asking you to be honest in your own heart with god i'm not judging here i don't know everyone's circumstances i don't know everyone's resources i don't know everyone's responsibilities i don't know everyone's health problems i do know he's asking you to do something he's asking you to invest your talents whether he's given you one or five or ten. The Bible says in Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God has got specific plans for you. They want you and all of your experiences and your abilities. All the things that make you, you. The good, the bad, the ugly. Nothing's wasted. The plans don't involve you sitting still and not progressing, not getting anywhere. 
just being exactly the same as you were yesterday, the day before that, the day before that. God asked Sarah to conceive a child at the age of 90. He didn't do it when she was 25 or 35 or 85. He waited till she was 90. And he still had plans for her at 90. I hope he still has plans for me that I'm willing to pursue when I'm 90. Let's not get caught up in the game of looking at other people and saying, well, he's got 10 talents and I've only got one, so it's not fair. I can't be expected to do anything. It's the responsibility of the one with 10 to do everything. Let's get this clear. God doesn't ask us to do things for his benefit. He asks us to be obedient to him and do things for him because it's for our benefit. He could have spontaneously generated Isaac out of mud like he did with Adam, but he didn't. He asked Sarah and Abraham to do it so they could demonstrate their faith. What God is asking you to do is between you and God. And it's not anyone else's responsibility, it's yours. That person over there may be ten times more gifted than you are. Healthier, wealthier, whatever. But what God has asked them to do is between them and God. And what God has asked you to do is between you and God. And if you're serious with your walk with God, then you need to be honest about it. And if you choose to ignore what God's saying in your life, or pretend it isn't a thing, or you can't do it, then you can't deceive God. You're only deceiving yourself. And like Jonah, you can't run away from God. You can only choose whether you're going to obey him or whether you're going to disobey him. And this is a marathon of a life of service. It's not a sprint. Sarah kept serving the Lord all of her 127 years. And I'm sure long before the age of 127 with a wealthy husband, she'd have preferred to pack up and retire to a nice comfy cottage somewhere, living the life of, instead of living a life of a nomad with goats. But she didn't. She persevered. Philippians 3 says this. Familiar words that I'm sure you've heard many times before. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. This life that we've been called to is one of perseverance. We look always to what God's for us next rather than resting on our laurels for what he's done with us in the past. There'll be plenty of time in heaven for a presentation of crowns, for the accolades, for the well-done, good and faithful servant. But right now, verse 15 of Philippians chapter 3 says, the mark of a mature Christian is to forget what's in the past and press on to the next goal. Even as we age, even as we make mistakes, even when we've stumbled, it's so easy to play the victim card and give up. Say, oh, it's, it's just too much. Just throw in the towel and pack it in. But we're not called to do that. We're called to persevere. No matter how difficult it may feel. No matter how little we feel like it. Abraham and Sarah lived a life together of faith. Looking to the future. They lived out a nomadic, difficult life that God had called them to. They could have taken the wealth that accrued and retired. But they didn't because God had called them to do something else. When Abraham lied to Pharaoh in fear of his life about Sarah not being his wife. When he did it again with Abimelech, 
the exact same sin. You'd think he'd learnt, he hadn't. He blew it again. The exact same lack of faith. When Sarah laughed out loud at the Lord, they picked themselves up afterwards and they carried on. Isaac came along as an heir. But they saw they'd die before the nation of Israel was established. But yet, they persevered. We're called to persevere. Through trials, through difficulties. We're called to invest in our spiritual legacy. What have you invested your time and energy in? Your career, your holidays, your family, yourself? All of those are good things. But are you busy building a legacy where the moths can't eat it and rust can't eat it away and it won't decay? Next year, Regent Chapel is going to celebrate our 80th anniversary. It's a testament of the faith of everyone who's striven and sacrificed and tried to maintain 80 years of witness in this part of Newcastle. Will your legacy of your time, your energy, your money, above all your prayer, be responsible for Regent Chapel still being a strong witness in 80 years' time when we're all long gone, or most of us perhaps anyway? Our legacy is important. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, Paul says, talking, uh, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Paul talking to Timothy. Timothy was a fruit of his grandmother's faith and his mother's. Grandmas and grandpas are so important. As patriarchs and matriarchs of your own families are the spiritual families. Your ministry of prayer and witness is vital to your grandchildren and your spiritual grandchildren. Don't undervalue it. We need to pass, respect the value of passing on a godly inheritance. The belief in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was passed to the generations. It's all that can be passed on. There's an onslaught of attack on young people today, young Christians today. We've an obligation to raise our children to know the Lord. It's not forcing our beliefs on them. It is granting them a godly inheritance. We've got to live our lives as an example. And we must pour our lives into the next generation. And Abraham wept as he mourned the loss of his wife. It's not wrong for us to cry when we lose someone we love. Abraham spent his life at the side of this woman and now she was gone and he was alone. It's what we do when we're normal. We miss the ones we love. But you know, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13 says this, we do not sorrow as others who have no hope. There's a difference when your loved one is a believer because there's something better to look forward to. We have hope. My uncle Mark passed away quite a few years ago now and when I went to see him in hospital in the last few days of his life he was joyful he was in a lot of pain and he was very very tired but he was looking forward to being with the Lord the Lord he'd served all his life tirelessly he was weak and dying but those last few minutes on the ward were full of laughter and joy Christians can die well because there's no fear because we know where we're going and we know who we're going to see when we get there. Death sucks. I hate it. It's horrible for those of us that are left behind. But Jesus conquered it. And so there's hope. And Abraham and Sarah knew God and had faith. And it gave them hope. John 14. Jesus says this. John 14, 1 to 3. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house 
has many rooms. And if that were not so, I'd have told you. I would, have, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus deals with the problem of death forever. How long will it be till we see him? Even if we live to 127, like Sarah did, time flies. It was summer only yesterday. It's bonfire night in a couple of weeks. It's only 84 sleeps till Christmas. Oh. It's so, it seems only like yesterday our kids looked like this on one of our many drafty visits to Scarborough. <laughs> and now two of them have left school already. And the third's just started the GCSEs and none of them will be seen dead on a donkey. <laughs> our life is God's gift to us. What we do with it is our gift to God. We don't have much time, so let's not waste it. The word Hebron, where Abraham wished to bury Sarah and to buy a tomb, means fellowship. It's where God made a covenant and had fellowship with Abraham. Abraham and Sarah had years of fellowship with God. And in the honor roll of faith, in that long list of faithful godly saints in Hebrew 11, Hebrews chapter 11, Sarah is mentioned. And also in 1 Peter, She's a godly example. And in Isaiah 52, they had defeats and they had lapses. But only the victories are recorded in Hebrews. It's a little bit like it's going to be for us in heaven. None of the defeats and all of the victories. Our sins and our lawless deeds will be remembered no more. Only the victories. It's like if you're a Newcastle fan and all the years since the 1950s never happened. And then we come to verse 7. And Abraham rose. There's a time to mourn, but then there's a time to rise. Abraham's still going on with his life. God had taken Sarah home, but God still had work for Abraham to do. We mourn for a season, we miss for a lifetime, but the sun still rises in the morning. God had wanted Abraham home, he'd have taken him there and then. But he still had work for him to do on earth. So there was a time for mourning and there was a time to stand up. And we get some wonderful Middle Eastern haggling. Do you like haggling? I can't do it. Victoria loves it. She even tries it in Asda. <laughs> <laughs> on our honeymoon in India, I can remember my shock when we were first married, finding this out about her. There was one occasion she spent 15 minutes agreeing the price on a shirt with a shopkeeper afterwards. So like, you want to buy it. It's not expensive. Just buy it. Oh, it's embarrassing. Never try selling anything to Victoria. You lose. <laughs> and I love her for it because it's fantastic. <laughs> Shaved us thousands over the years. But. In this chapter, Ephron expects Abraham to haggle him down. But Abraham buys the land at full asking price with no haggling against all the culture of the time. And the piece of land with the tomb for Sarah is unequivocally deeded to him. There's no arguments. There's no coming back and saying, actually, you didn't pay full price. It's not really yours. No, it's mine. You've got every single cent in front of witnesses that you asked for it. It's mine. It's the only land he owns. Despite all his wealth, he's a sufficient wealth that, and power for him to be called a mighty prince by the Hittites. He was a powerful, wealthy man. And he only owned that one piece of land. If you go to Hebron today, the deed he bought is still good. The cave and the tomb of Sarah is still there to this day, some 4,000 years after Abraham bought it. 
You can't get access to the tomb now if you're a visitor. The building's administered by the Palestinian authorities and only Jews and Muslims are allowed in in only very specific ways and no one can go underneath to the caves. But they're still there. The second holiest place to Jews after the Temple Mount and a holy place to the Muslims too. Herod the Great built that this, this what stands now, most of that is actually the built by Herod the Great at the time of Jesus. It's 2,000 years old, that building. And he built this huge building over it. And that was later converted to a mosque at the time, just before the Crusades. And the caves underneath are the tombs of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, and Jacob and Leah. And it's a sign of the establishment of God's promise that it still exists. A memorial to the godly heritage granted to Abraham and Sarah. How many people have visited that tomb over the last 4,000 years? Millions upon millions over the centuries. Do you see the godly heritage? Do you see the godly heritage in Timothy's grandma that was passed on to his mother, to Timothy, and which has been passed on to us as we read the books of First and Second Timothy in the New Testament? How many millions have read those words? In all your life, you may leave your kids a financial inheritance. But there's only one inheritance that they or anyone else will be able to use for all eternity, the godly inheritance, the gospel. There isn't anything more important. At the end of your life, the memorial place that you're going to have is going to have your birth date, it's going to have your death date, and your whole life in between is just going to be summed up by a little dash. There'll be your name, there'll be maybe a phrase or, that you can get on there, a few words, everything you ever were, but the godly inheritance, the godly heritage, that lives on from generation to generation. And some of you will be worried and upset because you weren't a Christian when you were raising your children. Or your children grew up and never found faith for themselves. That's something we all fear and worry about. And I want to say to you, it's never too late. The godly heritage can begin or continue even at that time. And it's still a powerful witness, and even to adult children. A testimony that through life's ups and downs, I am walking with Jesus is powerful. There's powerful place in ministry in being a godly grandma or a grandpa or uncle and aunt to the next generation. Many times you can have an influence that's even greater than the parents themselves to grandchildren or nieces and nephews. And as you do that, you understand how vitally important it is. There's some of you here listening on the podcast, perhaps, who were born to godly parents, but today you aren't following the Lord. And you know what? Honestly, it's a waste of time for someone who's raised by godly parents to bring flowers out to a cemetery to their grave and to lay flowers there if they're not willing to follow the most important thing that was on their parents' heart. Don't tell me how much you love that person if you're not willing to live the life that person lived. Because there's nothing that was more important for that person than for you to walk with them. For you to walk with Jesus. Nothing. Don't tell me you love them if you're not willing to love the one they loved and to follow him in your own life. Because when all is said and done, that's all we have. All that eternal value that I have in my life, that I've done in my life. The only thing that's of value is if I've helped others see Jesus. Jesus who conquered death on the cross. Through his sacrifice, maybe whole. Brought me into a right relationship with God. My car will go to a scrapyard. My house will be lived in by someone else and fall down eventually. My savings will be spent in due course. Sooner or rather than later, I expect when Anastasia goes to university. <laughs> the only have, thing that I have that will last more than a few years will be 
that'll last someone their lifetime and beyond is Jesus. He's all I have that's worth anything. I pray, if you don't know him already as your saviour, as your Lord, that you will do soon, even today perhaps. Without him, your life's worth nothing but the dust that you're created out of. With him, it has eternal value. God loves you. He made you to have a relationship with him, to know him for all eternity. Christ died for you. If you're the only person on earth, he still would have died in your place as a sacrifice for your sin. If you believe that, if you turn from selfishness and follow him, then whatever your circumstances right now, you can have a life that will be of value forever in eternity. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the godly heritage we enjoy thanks to the faith of Sarah and Abraham. Thank you for the godly inheritance we have experienced from all those that witnessed to us over the years, in our families, from this platform, in Sunday school, at this church, and others we've been part of. Lord, I pray that you'll be in, we'll be inspired and strengthened to pass on our own heritage to those that you bring across our paths. Help us to have courage and strength to be obedient to your calling to do that. And Lord, if there are any here in this room today or listening to this podcast, that you'll become real to them. Make yourself known to them so that they too can inherit your kingdom. Because we ask it in Jesus' name.